Amen. That, that song we just sang is very fitting with today's message. Because at the end of this service, or at the end of this message, I should say, I'm going to bring the best news of all. And that's usually how it is. Anybody like a, anybody like a good mystery? I asked y'all that once before. But you ever notice that the mystery, it kind of starts out slow and it starts gaining ground. And there at the end, when everything's revealed, when everything's over and done with, you kind of have the climax of the story and things just get really good. That's kind of what I want to do this morning, because at the end, towards the end of this, things are going to get really good. It's the best news ever. But each one of us loves a good mystery. I know I do. And sometimes I get a little frustrated that they just kind of keep dragging it on and dragging it on before you find out what it's all about. And sometimes it's a little frustrating. You just want to know. You just want to know. But from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and I don't mean to disappoint you, but I'm not going to touch too much and get too deep into that mystery. We will. God's already revealed what that mystery is. We'll look at that. I'm not going to go into those teachings too deep because that could be a sermon that could last another 13 weeks just on that subject alone. But what I want to look at this morning from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13 is the greatest mystery ever revealed. Uh, and, and if you'll stand with me this morning one more time, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time in the honor of, readings of God, uh, reading of God's word from that chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me from you, or for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was now given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the, uh, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at any of my tribulation on your behalf, for they are your glory. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, and I pray that you'll add your blessings to it this morning as we've read it, and I pray, Father, that you'll give us a clear understanding of what Paul is saying here, Father, how he is, how he is giving us that prelude to a prayer this morning, Father. I thank you for him being so bold as to remind the Ephesians what he has taught earlier, not only taught earlier, but what he has written to them earlier for them to understand, Father. And now he comes to a place where he's finding himself uh, ready to pray for the Ephesians on this matter so that they can fully understand and fully under, understand and grasp 
the mystery of Jesus Christ, Father, that has been hidden for so long, now revealed through the, the apostle and the prophets and through Paul himself as an apostle. So, Father, give us a clear understanding this morning of what your word is teaching us, Father. Allow us to go out boldly and confidently, Father, with you supporting us into a world that is lost and is dying so that we might be witnesses therein, Father, so that others might come to know Christ as a result of our witness and because of your grace through faith, Father. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Now, I, 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 what I really want to do today is more of a, it's, it's kind of a step-by-step teaching process, if you will. Um, I'm not the greatest teacher. I love to preach, but I'm really not the greatest teacher. But I'm just going to kind of go through this, through this kind of a teaching moment and not preach so much as I am teaching, but what I also want to do is I want to kind of set the stage for for the message next week, and Walter's going to bring that message next week starting in verse 14, and what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's setting the stage for what's about to happen, what he's about to do starting in verse 14, so I'm going to kind of set that stage if I can for Walter, just as Paul was doing for himself in the early stages of, of chapter 3, right here. And, and I want us to understand that. So I'll be doing kind of more teaching than I will be preaching, but I want to go through it. And, and I know that there's a lot of points on your notes there this morning, but they do go very quickly. I don't want you to get nervous about that and think we might be here until July 4th before he gets through this message. And believe me, if I could, I'd keep us here until July 4th. But I want to look at this morning the greatest mystery ever revealed the greatest mystery we ever ever revealed. And there's, there's really five points that I want to make here. I just kind of want to break down this scripture for you, if I could, to kind of set that stage. And the first one is this. It's the mystery. It's paving the road to prayer. What, what, we're, what Paul is doing here is he's paving the road to a prayer that's going to start in verse 14. That's, that's ultimately what he's doing here. And, and I want to explain to you exactly how he's paving that road here in this first point. And, and we're going to find this first point to be true in verses 1 through 4. Paul mentions three things that I want to point out in verses 1 through 4. I just want to point them out very briefly <clears throat> that will get you to understand better what he's about to pray about in verse 14. The first thing that he mentions here is stewardship. If, if you look in verse in verse uh, 2, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. Now, that first thing that I want to mention is, is that word stewardship, but more specifically, the stewardship of grace. It was a stewardship of grace. Now, a stewardship... If you don't know, I should think everybody does, but if you don't know what a steward is, a steward is someone who has been trusted with something uh, and they have a responsibility to be productive with whatever it was that was given to them on the behalf of the owner or whoever really owns that or what it, now you could be a good steward of money. So, uh, uh, for instance, in the church, we are to be good stewards of God's money. When we give our tithes and our offerings, we're giving that in good faith that God is going to do with it what he needs to do with it. What we have been entrusted to do and our responsibility is to be good stewards of the money that belongs to God. So that is what a steward is. He, he is entrusted to be productive with something that's been given to him that really is owned by someone else. 
If you think about it, you're a steward at your job and your vocation. When your boss gives you something to do, a task to do, it really belongs to him and it belongs to the company. You're asked to do the best that you can with it, to be productive and to be very careful with your, with your opportunity and your responsibility. But Paul was given the responsibility with God's grace. There's no other greater uh, thing that you can have than God's grace to be a steward of. God has entrusted Paul with his grace. Now, now I, I, wanna, I wanna look at that a little deeper. We, as well, have been entrusted with God's grace because what has God given you freely as a child of God, as a believer in Christ, what has God given you? Grace, of course. So we're to be a good steward of that grace. We're not to misuse that grace. We're not to take advantage of that grace. And we are to reveal that grace to other people and let others know what God has given us. That he has given us eternal life because of his grace. And through our faith, we now have access. So I wanted to look at that first word, first of all, was stewardship. It's to be taken very seriously. Now, how does that point to us? As I said, we have that same responsibility with God's grace that he has freely given us. And we have been given that responsibility and we're to take it seriously. The second word I want to look at is the word mystery. Is the word mystery there. And in verse 3 it says, um, The stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. And in verse 3, That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. Now this mystery that we're talking about is simply this. It's found in verse 6. So I'm going to ask you to jump down there to verse 6, if you will, for me real quick. And, and Paul even writes, to be specific. So he's pointing out that this is exactly the mystery that he's speaking of. And that is this, that the Gentiles, Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in other words, we are also heirs to that promise that God had given to Abraham and many that had gone on before us. God had given that to the Gentiles as well through Christ Jesus. That's how we're able to access God, and that is through the Lord and our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that is the mystery. It, it has been revealed to Paul, but I, I want to get into some teachings later where you'll understand that before the apostles and the prophets and these prophets came along, before the apostle Paul, this mystery was hidden. But now it has been revealed. You see, you have something that even Abraham and even Jonah or even Daniel or, or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Moses couldn't understand. You have an explanation of this mystery that not even at that time the angels understood and weren't privy to that information. That you are now, it, it makes you seem a little privileged, doesn't it? That God would reveal this to you and give this to you and not hide it from you and make you understand it on your own. He has given it to this, but I'm going to unfold that. So it's the mystery. There's plenty of Old Testament scripture pointing straight to Christ, but they couldn't understand that. They couldn't figure that out. Why? Because Christ did not come yet. Bill, Bill was talking to me earlier, Bill Hires was talking to me earlier and talking about something about, um, uh, what, what was the word he used? I don't see him in here. He's probably checking to make sure we're safe. He checks, Bill goes around and checks all the doors, makes sure that we're, that we're in here safely. 
by the way. So thank him for that. He does it faithfully every Sunday. But he was talking about complicated algebra or something in, in college. And, and, and I, was, I was like, I, I can't even grab my head around that statement because I was never very good at algebra. You know, I took algebra for... Um, I took algebra for four years. Did y'all know that? In high school, I took it for four years. I took algebra one twice for two years, and I took algebra two twice for two years. But I've had four, four years of high school algebra. I wasn't very good at it. Just wasn't my strong suit. But in order to understand algebra, you must first understand two plus two, correct? You must understand two times two, or 12 times 12. You must understand the basics of math in order to take the next level and to understand algebra, or trigonometry, or calculus, or anything like that. Apparently, I didn't do very good at speaking English either in school. But I do have a certificate of graduation. Don't know how, but I have one. So we have to understand these things, and we had to understand what the Old Testament was, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But the third thing I want to look at is not, not a word that was written here, but I want to look at this was a prelude to prayer. In verses 1 through 13, it was a prelude, and we see evidence of this in verses three, uh, 2, 3, and 4. I want to point out a couple of statements. In verse 2, it says, the Apostle Paul says, if indeed you have heard, if indeed you had heard, so, so he's, he's pointing out something that they already have heard, that they've already been told. The second statement is found in verse 3, as I wrote before in brief. And that statement there that the Apostle Paul made. Again, that points to something that they already knew, that he already heard, and here he is bringing it up again. And there's a reason for that. And then the third thing is this in verse, verse 4, he says, by referring to this, so again, he brings up something that he had already talked about and had already spoken on and had already taught. So he was telling them by referring back to my teachings or my instructions, what he was saying was, is I'm going to bring this up again. And usually when we're given instruction again, it's usually a prelude to something else. For instance, when I took Algebra 1 the first time in the ninth grade, it was a prelude to taking it twice in the 10th grade. And it taught me more and more. But this is where the Apostle Paul was. The past, the past, in this prelude to the prayer, the past was pointing to the present and the future. So he was bringing something up so he could explain himself later. They already knew this, everything about it, because they had already heard it before. This was a different teaching. Now you have to remember, this was something different that they were being taught. It was different than anything that they had ever heard before. And what he was simply doing, Paul was simply reminding them of what was already there in the Old Testament Scripture so they could come to terms with this new teaching in the New Testament. They didn't call it the New Testament then. They didn't call it the Old Testament. But with this new teaching, what Paul was about to do was reveal to them this mystery of the Gentiles being fellow heirs with the Jews. And, and through God, what he is saying is, is that the, the new old teaching in the Old Testament, you have to understand that in order to understand what you have now. Now, if you remember that they, there was a lot of scholars, they... They understood Old Testament scripture. What they didn't understand was who was this guy, this coming Messiah? Where was he? When was he coming? Who was he going to be? What was he going to look like? They didn't know any of that. And a lot of them at this point didn't believe that he had even come yet. And, and y'all know that just by the teachings and sitting in church all your life. 
that they didn't believe that. If they, didn't, if they believed it, they wouldn't have crucified him. So, so they have to understand this. So the teaching was there all along in the Old Testament. It just wasn't revealed to man what he was going to do through Christ Jesus. He had written this uh, when he says uh, in verse 4, when he makes the, the statement by referring to this, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, that Mike talked about last week, he had mentioned this earlier. And he had mentioned it twice in his letter. So he makes that statement of which I am referring to. So he is referring them back. Now, why is this? Because he was, he was trying to get them uh, to listen before he started his prayer so they would be able to accept the things that he was about to pray about because it was all new teaching to them. The, the second point is this. There, there was paving the road to prayer. And then the second point is this. There's the mystery plan. You see, there was a plan to this mystery that God had set forth even before the foundation of the world. God had planned this out, but he didn't reveal it to man. There's the mystery plan in verses 5 and 6. In verses 5 and 6, um, this, is, this is what we, we, we read here in verses 5 and 6. He says, uh, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, and we'd already read that, this was the mystery. Now, this mystery has deep roots because this plan was, was already laid out before the foundation of the world. This is how God had planned it out. This is, this is how he was going to work this out, that we as Gentiles would be fellow heirs of the promise through Jesus Christ, which is the mystery. This plan uh, was for all to have fellowship with Christ. That's what the plan was was so that we could all have access to God, that we could all uh, be saved through Jesus Christ, that we all had the same opportunity to grasp that promise and spend an eternity with Christ Jesus. That was the plan. Isn't that a wonderful God that would come up with a plan like that even before we were even thought of? That he would do this for us? That he would come to earth as we just sang to die for me? Revealing to me how much I need a savior. It was also not revealed to mankind before Christ came to die, as we see in verse 5, which I've already mentioned. It was not revealed to mankind at that point. It wasn't being revealed until this point. And then there's the revelation of that ancient plan. God revealed this to the apostles and prophets, as we read in verse 5. And no man, as I've already explained in the Old Testament, was aware of this mystery and the answer to it. They just didn't know. They just didn't know. But now we have a clear understanding. Now that it has been revealed, we can put the pieces of the Old Testament together with the New Testament teachings. You see, we couldn't understand the Old Testament without the New Testament. The, the Old Testament, when you look at it and understand the New Testament, you'll see it thread all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament. You'll see it. In fact, in, in 1990, what, what year was it? It's 2000, actually. It's 2005, I think it was. I went, and, and it's coming up. They do it every year. As a matter of fact, we got a mailing on it. I went a couple of years ago um, when I was here, and I took some days off, and I went up, and, and it's called the Coastal Evangelism Conference. It's in Conway, South Carolina. If you ever get a chance to go, I'm telling you, it's two and a half days of getting alone with God and hearing some godly men and women 
uh, preach and some godly men and women sing the gospel. If you ever get a chance to go, go. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. But there was a, uh, there was a Jew there that day. It was a Jewish man. And he gave his testimony. I can't remember his name. But he gave his testimony of how he came to know Christ. And he was down and out. His job wasn't going very well. His marriage was failing. His kids didn't want anything to do with him. And he was just in a bad way. And he was contemplating suicide, and he went and got a hotel room, and he just couldn't bring himself to do it yet, so he checked into a hotel room, had a bottle of booze, and, and he's just feeling sorry for himself. He's going to drown himself in Jim Beam or whatever it is that he had to drink. And, and he opened the drawer, and he sees this Bible, as we know, that the Gideons placed there all the time. And he opened it up to the New Testament, and he started to read some things. And he didn't know why he did it, and he started to read some things in, in the New Testament. And he thought, man, this is a bunch of garbage because it doesn't go along with anything that I've ever been taught being a Jew. And he took that Bible and he threw it on the bed, and it bounced and hit the side. And this was his testimony. It bounced and it hit the floor and opened back up to the New Testament. So he took it and he kicked it to get it under the bed. And, and this is what he told us, his testimony, not mine. If you've ever been in a hotel room, there is no under the bed. There's a board there. And you can't see it because the, the skirt that comes down. And he said that book flew back out, hit him in the feet, and at his feet it was still open to the New Testament. So he began reading. He says he sat up most of the night reading the New Testament. And he said what he saw in the New Testament, because he had never read it, he'd never been encouraged to read it, as a Jew, he began to see the Old Testament thread through the New Testament. And he began to understand the same mystery that we're talking about today. He began to be, began to be revealed to him through God, through his own reading, exactly what God had in store, that he was a fellow heir through Jesus Christ. And he said that night before he left that hotel room, early into the next morning, that he was a changed man of God because of Jesus Christ that had come into his life that very night, not being ministered to by anyone but himself and God alone. And, and my point of telling you all of this is that the Old Testament, you can see threads of it through the New Testament, and once you understand the New Testament, you can see threads of it through the Old Testament. And this was simply what the Apostle Paul was trying to teach them. He was trying to tell them what you've already been taught, I'm trying to tell you the answer to that. I'm trying to tell you what the last piece of the puzzle is. So let me move on. Then there's, that's the mystery plan. That's the way God planned it out, that we'd all be fellow heirs. The third point is this, there's the mystery that's preached. And I know I told you all in the introduction that I wasn't going to preach much. I, I guess I missed that mark a little bit, Sorry. I just can't seem to get it out of me. But verses 7 through 9, we're going to see the mystery preached. And the first point I make about this is, is please teach me. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this. I don't know if it's on the board or not, but Romans 10, uh, 14 through 15, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? So there needs to be someone to tell others of this mystery. And that's what the Apostle Paul was called to do. 
There were other apostles and prophets that were called to do this. Paul was called to preach the gospel and to proclaim the truth of this mystery so all could understand it. Look what it says in verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. According to the working of his power. So Paul was called to preach this mystery. Look what it says back up in verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. You see, in both of these verses, it speaks to the point that Paul was given this trust as a steward of grace to be able to reveal to the, the mystery and explain the mystery. He didn't reveal it. God had already revealed it. Paul was sent to explain what God had revealed to him. And, and what he's doing is he's, he's, he's trying, to, he's trying to, to not really set them up, but he's trying to prepare their minds for the prayer that he's about to pray. Because this was, a, this was a new teaching. It was strange to them. They didn't understand it. And it really wasn't a new teaching. It was just an explanation of old teaching. And before he begins that prayer in verse 14, it could become very confusing to them if Paul had not written about it and now was trying to explain it again. In fact, in verses 2 through uh, 13, and I, I don't know what it's called, and I'm going to have to have some help of, of maybe some, uh, some school teachers, Barbara and, and Debbie, I don't know what it's called when, when you make a statement and then you stop and you put a statement in parentheses. I don't know what that's called. It's just a statement in parentheses. I guess it explains what they previously said. Does that make sense? Yeah, sometimes we do, and then we put something in parentheses to, to kind of guide you in that way. If, if you look at this scripture... It's really one long run-on sentence between, chapters, between verses 2 and 13. You could put that in parentheses. Because Paul says in verse 1, and, and I want you to see this, because I want you to see how he's leading up to his prayer. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And there's a pause there. And then if you look at verse 14, he starts back and he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He's about to engage in prayer with the Father. So everything that we're talking about here is in parentheses. Why is it in parentheses? Because it's already been spoken of, it's already been taught about, and he's just trying to reveal to them, this is not the first time we've talked about it. What I'm doing is, is I'm trying to prepare your minds for the new teaching and this mystery to be uh, revealed to you and for it to come to, to, come to life into your mind. Is what he's trying to tell them. Now, I may have over-explained that. Maybe I didn't explain it enough. It made sense in my head, so everybody must understand it, Right? So there's the mystery preached. Paul was called to preach that gospel. We all like figuring out who done it, don't we? Who likes a, a good who done it? We all want to figure out who done it. More than that, you know what else we like to do? We like to tell others who done it. Don't you? How many of you love to give a spoiler alert? Man, I figured this out. Why? Because I figured it out. I figured it out. We're watching this. I figured it out. And this is what's going to happen, and this guy did it. And you watch a murder mystery or, or a good mystery on TV, or you're watching something, maybe a good Agatha. I mean, I love an Agatha Christie mystery. I don't know about y'all. I guess maybe I'm just old-fashioned that way, but I love Agatha Christie. And, and, and it's just leading up to the mystery, but we all like to reveal who done it because we figured it out before the detective on TV did. Not really, because he, he read the script. But, but, but my point is, is that we like to reveal that. But on the other side of that, nobody likes to know that spoil alert, do we? 
That's why we come up with that term. And I'm going to talk about this, spoiler alert, because I'm about to reveal something in the movie that you might not want to know. You might want to close your ears or go do something else. So we all like to reveal it to people, but we don't always like to hear what has to be said because we want to figure that out on our own. And sometimes me and my wife will be watching things, and we kind of like mysteries, and she'll be saying something, I'm like, don't, 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 don't tell me, don't tell me. I want to figure this out on my own. But, but we do that, and we talk about it, but the, it, we all like a whodunit. We want to give those spoiler alerts. We don't always want to hear them, but we like to give them. But as the hearer, we don't want to hear them. But what we have to know is that we need to start giving out some spoiler alerts about the mystery. You want to know why? For one thing, people need to hear that spoiler alert. People need to know what Christ has done. People need to know that I'm a fellow heir in his promise. People need to know that Christ saved you. People need to hear what Christ has done for you. People need to know that you're a steward of his grace. Hallelujah. Sometimes we need to give those spoiler alerts about who Christ is in our life. And here's one thing that I can tell you. When the hearer doesn't like to hear a spoiler alert about a good mystery on TV, they will enjoy hearing the spoiler alert of what Christ has done in their life. That's one spoiler alert that they will look forward to hearing. Now let me not get too excited. I might take a lap here in a minute. So we, we have to tell others. God planned it that way. He sent preachers to, to explain it to us. And here we are. We need to let others know what Christ has done. Someone very, once, someone very wise once said this not too long ago. And it's a quote that I heard last week. And this is what it says on being saved. We now have access to the presence of God. Man, when, when, when Michael spoke those words last week, it hit me right between the eyes when he was referring to Hebrews chapter 14. We really have access to the presence of God when we're born again. You really have access to be able to talk with God. You really do have access to his grace. You really do have access to his, his trustworthiness that he puts in you. You have access to him asking you to be a steward of his grace, a steward of his money, a steward of his people. Maybe it's your family or your vocation. Everything that you have has been given to you by God, and you have access to the presence of God to be able to get those instructions from him. We now have access to the presence of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful way of summing it up. So let me move on to the fourth point. And I'll close. I'm, I'm getting there, I promise. There's the mystery plan, there's the mystery preached, and then there's the mystery purpose. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this? In verses 10 and 11, it's simply for us to know. In verse 10, look what it says. In verse 10, it says simply... So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, to the rulers, the authorities, and in the heavenly places. You know what that means? God wants us to know something that he knows. How many of you would feel privileged in here if you were to go home today, the phone rang, and you picked it up, and someone said a nice female voice, very clear, very 
stern voice, but very professional at the same time, and says, would you please hold for the President of the United States, President Donald Trump? And then you hear the Donald get on the phone. Yeah, I said it, the Donald. And he gets on the phone and he says, I need to tell you something. I need to know that you're trustworthy to keep this secret because I, I need somebody on the outside to back me up because nobody knows this and, and, and you can reveal it to them. In other words, he tells you his secret. How honored would you be that the President of the United States would trust you enough to reveal things to you? I, I'd be honored. I would. I'd probably start stuttering when I talk back to him. How honored are we to know that Christ Jesus, that God has revealed things through Christ Jesus to us that he wants us to know. Man, that's, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. In fact, if my phone rang and they said it was the president on the line and at the same time an angel came down and said, I want to reveal something to you that God told me to tell you, I'm going to say, Mr. President, can you please? How much better is it to know that God wants you to know what he knows? This, this, is the God, this is the God that created everything that came into existence. So there's the mystery part. He simply wants us to know it. And it goes back to the previous point. Why does he want us to know it? So that we can tell others about it. He wants us to tell. More importantly, look what it says in verse 11. In verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, the other reason is so, so that God may have fellowship with us through Christ Jesus. That is the most important reason that God planned this, that God made us fellow heirs. Why? Simply so he could be with us. So he could be with us. It was an eternal purpose, because look what he says in verse 11. What does he say? It's an eternal purpose. It's not temporary. I just don't want to go to dinner with you. I just don't want to have a cup of coffee with you. I want to be in your presence for eternity, is what God is telling you. And he's trying to reveal this, this wonderful mystery to us through the Apostle Paul that God really wants to be with me. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever wanted someone to like you? For some reason, somebody just seems like they just didn't like you very much. And man, you just wanted them to like you. But they didn't seem to be interested. And, and I don't mean maybe a, a, a person of the opposite sex that you wanted them to like you so you could date them. It just You wanted someone to like you. Man, I like that fella. I wish he liked me. You ever, you ever, y'all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever wanted to be the life of the party? Have you ever just wanted to step in and just kind of steal the spotlight? Everybody would like that every now and again, wouldn't you? You would like, how, how many of you have ever wanted to be the center of attention? We all do sometimes. Sometimes we just want that. Sometimes we want it to be about me. I'm not saying there's any shame in that. It's just sometimes that's how we, that's how we think. We're human. And I know y'all say, I'm not going to say amen, but every one of us in here feel like that from time to time. Some of us just want to be noticed. Some of us, we just want to be wanted. We just want to be wanted. God does want you. God does want to be with you. God does want to be your friend. God does want to be your counsel. God does want to be your savior through Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes we want these things and we can't ever get them, but God says, I'm doing it for you now. And that's really all we need. And as I look at this last point, I told you it gets better. It's called the mystery privilege. You see, along with the mystery comes some privileges. And let me point some of those things out. This is, this is the best news of all. As I said earlier, we now have access to the presence of God. And not only do we have access to God, but we have access to God for eternity. Not just short term, but for eternity. That's what the Apostle Paul is pointing out to these, to, to, the, to the Ephesians. I want you to understand this before I start praying about this, because I don't want it to be a foreign language to you when I start uttering these words in my petition to God. I want you to understand this, that God really does want you, that God really does want to be with you, and he wants that to last for all of eternity. That's what he's saying. But listen to what he says. He says two things that we have in our access, and that is in verse 12, in whom we have boldness. We have a boldness access. In other words, that we're never ashamed to approach God. That we're never ashamed to approach God in front of other people. That we're never ashamed to pray to God in front of others. That we're never ashamed to speak the words and the truth of Christ no matter who's around. He's talking about a boldness access, a bold access to the presence of God. That we never have to be ashamed. And then he uses the word confident. We have a bold and confident access. That confidence means that we trust him and know that he will not forsake us. It's a confidence knowing that we can ask God of anything and he will take care of us. Most importantly, when we ask Christ to be our Savior, God says, if you call on his name, you will be saved. It's not just hoping that God will not forsake you. It's knowing that he never will. And that's just wonderful, bold, and confident access before God. The Apostle Paul chose his words very wisely so that we know and the, the Ephesians know that we have a bold access before God. Paul faced many hardships. Look what it says in verse 12. Or verse 13. I, I apologize. I think, it's, I think it's verse 13. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Paul faced many tribulations. Paul faced many hardships. How many of you have? And, and can come forward as you listen to that, this last point. Paul had many hardships. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been stoned. Paul had been shipwrecked. Paul was bit on the hand by a viper. Y'all remember that? When he was on the island after the shipwreck. Paul went through a living nightmare as he was ministering for the gospel. Ministering for Christ Jesus. How many of you have gone through hardships? Now, we might not face what Paul did, but we have our own turmoil in our life, don't we? Have somebody testify on that. You've faced trials, haven't you? Tribulations, turmoil. I sometimes think I've had more share, my, my fair share, and more so than my fair share. And we all think that. We all think that. Listen to what Paul was telling them. 
And this is what we need to reveal to others. That no matter what we go through, we still have access to God. That no matter what we go through, it is not a judgment on us. Some people say, oh, you must be being judged by God. You're just not living right. You ever hear people tell you, you're just not living right. You're doing something wrong. What the Apostle Paul is trying to get them to understand is that no matter how many hardships, hard, hardships you face, it's not because you've done something wrong. It's more likely because you've done something right. And what he was saying was, don't let the hardships that you see in my life deter you from following Christ Jesus. Because what can happen to unbelievers? Man, if you're going through all that as a Christian, I don't want to be one. Now, how many of you, you in here, before you became a Christian, thought out about someone else? Why would I want to be like the Apostle Paul? Look what he went through. And it makes our faith wave. And we're like, man, I don't want any part of Jesus if i got to go through that. What the Apostle Paul was teaching them is don't let what you see me go through deter you from believing Jesus Christ and knowing that the mystery that's been revealed to you is for your own good. And we need to be careful to tell others that. Man, but I see Christians go through all kind of turmoil, but don't let that turn you off because you might go through a little bit of trial and tribulation here on this earth, and to be honest with you, Christians don't go through it any more than any others do. We all go through them. The first thing that I'll do with someone that comes to know Christ is the first thing that I counsel them on is your mortgage isn't going to go away. Your car payment's still going to be there. Your light bill's still going to be due. Your kids are still going to act out. Your car's still going to break down. Life is going to go on. But the difference is, is now you have Christ to give you the strength to get through it. Because Christ said he'd save you. He didn't say that all your problems were going to leave. And a lot of people, when they're saved, they think that's what happens. That I'll never have anything to worry about again. No mortgage will be due. God will take care of that. The car will never break down. And that's not true. Listen, I've turned so many wrenches on cars, my wife will tell you. And if it was because God, was, uh, because God didn't save me, I had a problem. Listen, it, it's, it's not about that. The Apostle Paul says, don't let that deter you from having a relationship with Christ. And we need to convey that to others. More importantly, before we sing this last song, I convey to you that if you're struggling with any of these things that the Apostle Paul has laid out before he starts to preach, if you're struggling with any of this and saying, I never realized that that's what he was doing. I never realized that this was God's plan. And that is a game changer. It's a life changer for me. And if that explains who you are, and you're bold enough and confident enough to approach God about that, and you would like to tell me about it, please do. Please do. Let's stand together and let's sing this last song. And if you don't know who Christ is, please ask me. I would love to tell you about him.